Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. I've got Parataxis Capital co-founders with me today, CEO Edward Chin and CIO Tejas Nalval. Welcome, guys. Hey, Ash. Thanks for having us, Ash. Well, it's great to have you here. Lots to talk about. Obviously, lots of news flow. We got a pop in prices. Let's get to that right now. Take a look at price action here. Bitcoin trading at 29860 trailing 24 hours it's up 10 and a quarter percent trailing seven days up nearly 15 percent ethereum trading 1850 dollars trailing 24 hours up nearly seven percent on my screen trailing seven days uh up just about six and a third percent guys we said it at the top of the show a lot of news flow a lot of interest right now in the space we've got a lot of stories that show this kind of bridge between TradFi and crypto happening right now, or at least threatening to. We got a BlackRock ETF. We've got an exchange at EDX announced uh, yesterday. This is Chuck Schwab, Fidelity, Citadel, Virtue, Sequoia, Paradigm, uh, some true behemoths of the TradFi space. And today, this morning, Deutsche Bank applying for a digital asset custody license in Germany. Guys, big picture, what do you make of it? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a reaction to the the BlackRock ETF news. I think the market was due for a, a little bit of a catalyst. Um, there were some there were some signs of forced selling that took place over the last uh, several weeks, uh, which tapered off uh, right 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 in line with uh, when when BlackRock announced their their ETF filing. Um, so I think what we're seeing right now is um, you know, a reaction to that, but uh, more importantly, some short covering uh, in, in, in the market as well. Some, um, you know, we saw some evidence of uh, upside calls being priced in. So option market makers just repricing their books and the market slowly grinding higher. Um, so this this could be the the start of the next run. Um, time will tell, of course, but uh, you know, we're, we feel very constructive uh, over over the, the, the fundamentals over the past uh, several weeks. Yeah, I, I think the key thing that the market was looking for was an incremental buyer. And, and to the extent that a, a household name, probably the bluest chip institutional name in the space, BlackRock, to the extent that they're, they're going to come out with an ETF product uh, that could tap into the $35 trillion U.S. retirement market, uh, there's your incremental buyer. And so I think the market's getting pretty excited about that. And the price action that, that we've been uh, seeing over the past couple of days is reflecting that. So what do you make of it? What do you make of BlackRock's entry into the space? Obviously, lots of spot ETFs uh, have been declined uh, by regulators in the past. What do you make of it? What does BlackRock know or what do they think they know about their chances of getting an approval here for a spot Bitcoin ETF? So so this is a debate we've had uh, internally for for going on two weeks now. Um, we, we don't have, of course, without knowing any... Uh, any particular specific information? We do think that um, we do think that this is a, 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 a little bit of a watershed moment for for the space. Number one, BlackRock wouldn't enter the space 
um, if my, in my opinion, if they couldn't get this uh, this ETF through. Um, it does, it does, you know, it, it, looking at the fine print, it does look and feel a little bit uh, different than some of the spot ETF filings that have been rejected by the SEC since um, um, over, over the past few years. So, you know, our, our own view internally is that um, there is a greater than 50% chance that this ETF will uh, will get approved. And what is what is particularly exciting for us as a as a fund manager? This is real. This is a real volume, real capital uh, coming into the space that is, uh, you know, likely not going to be traded on leverage. It is it is real uh, uh, long term, you know, quote unquote hodl capital that is entering the spot markets, not the futures market. It's entering the spot markets. Um, so that should, in a in our view, that should. Uh, um, that should uh, bode well for uh, market growth <clears throat> and activity across the space. So let's ask the obvious question. Why does it matter? Why does a Bitcoin spot ETF generate more potential uh, for activity for BlackRock than a futures ETF, which has already been approved? Uh, the easy answer there is there's no there's no hidden costs of uh, that come from the contango between the futures price and, and spot prices. If you, I don't remember the exact stat, but if you were holding one of the um, futures-based ETFs uh, year to date, I think you're, you'd be underperforming uh, Bitcoin spot price by something like ten or twenty percent. So there is a there's a real um, cost to holding right. a futures-based product. So number one, your your performance is actually in line with uh, uh, Bitcoin. Um, um, number two, um, it, it again for most uh, crypto natives and for most uh, practitioners in this space, spot uh, activity does does beget uh, volume across the space. So as uh, volume comes into Bitcoin's uh, 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 spot markets, it does you know it does make its way into other spot markets, uh, other blockchains, other layer ones, other uh, tokens, and just by virtue of uh, volume coming into to the spot markets, that so it's dynamic. It's basically it's basically cheaper. Uh, and therefore better tracking uh, and also the potential for a great deal more volume in terms of retail interest in the product. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about uh, what this means for the space more broadly. Obviously, we're seeing this surge on the price action right now, particularly on Bitcoin. I believe we're seeing uh, highs right now uh, for uh, you know for a significant period of time in terms of the bitcoin dominance index right now on coin and by the way these will vary depending upon which index you look at i'm looking at uh, coin market cap right now it's basically at 50 percent 49.9 percent bitcoin dominance index this is obviously uh, showing some significant uh, interest in the space in terms of what uh, what market participants are looking at yeah you generally see this trend where where the the initial marginal capital comes into bitcoin but then it's slowly uh, uh, you know, dissipates down into you know further down the risk spectrum into Ethereum, into Solana, into other other layer ones, into actual uh, the all set or trading on on different blockchains. Uh, you'll see Bitcoin leading, and you'll see the Bitcoin dominance uh, uh, ratio go up. Uh, but then you slowly start seeing the ETH Bitcoin ratio um, bottom out, start moving higher. So that implies capital is being sold out of Bitcoin into Ethereum. Capital is being sold out of Bitcoin into other tokens, and you know, crypto traders are actually. Uh, uh, comfortable taking a bit more risk, and this is just one of those trends. If you look at the ETH ratio, you'll see an oscillating relationship. So, uh, this we're in the phase where the, the the new marginal capital is coming into Bitcoin. Um, we've used we've used the uh, the term that um, uh, Bitcoin is the gateway drug 
generally in, in the crypto markets. Capital flows into Bitcoin first. It's the most liquid. It's the most well-known. Uh, it's the easiest to, act, uh, to access. But then that's slow, that capital slowly makes its way into, into, into and, other and, products. And Ash, if I could add to that, I think if yeah, I could I just step in. back. Um, if you think about uh, the, the institutional <laughs> allocators that, that, are, that have been exploring the space, we do manage public pension fund assets in, in, in a couple of our hedge funds. But I think retail and high net worth have always been a bit progressive and, and have gotten into this sector a bit earlier. I think for institutional allocators who are, you know, past the $35 trillion in retirement assets, the next couple of trillion dollars in, in deployable assets that are looking to get exposure to space, uh, having an SEC uh, approved regulated product um, from the likes of, of BlackRock, I think will, will help with the reg risk and, and you know in every one of our discussions i think a lot of folks have spent the past three years on the institutional side studying the sector and they have a pretty good sense of the investment opportunity the, the key headline right now is reg risk and so i think with the approval of this etf and i saw a stat saying that blackrock's hit rate is i think 500 to one in, in getting these approvals and so yeah. uh, as just described the fact that they are they're moving forward with it i think um uh, lends to their confidence, number one, but number two, bodes well for the sector as it kind of really opens up um, the, the, the possible pool of, of, of investors that, that, that can really deploy. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. So we got uh, sucked into the news flow here. Obviously, there's a lot happening right now. Let's give a little bit of background, a little bit of context. You guys both come from the TradFi world. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey, how you guys got interested in crypto and what you're doing right now at Parataxis. Yeah, um, so by way of background, uh, I'm a former military officer, spent about a decade as a tech media telecom banker and came upon the space in late 2017. I, I ran the advisory business at one of the early merchant banks in the space called the Element Group, uh, looking at early stage token projects, fundraising, investing, uh, that's where I, I connected with uh, my partner and co-founder, CIO Tejas Noval. He was on the other side of the Chinese wall, managing the firm's asset management business. We, we, uh, we, we spent the first two years, I would say, um, at, at various hedge funds and merchant banks. I spent a year at Galaxy Digital before launching Paratax's Capital. Our, our goal from day one was to create a product um, that would appeal to institutional allocators. And, and we've been waiting four years for, the, for, for this day to come. And it's, 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 it's a great milestone for us. I feel like coming out of what was a pretty painful bear market, uh, um, it kind of sets us up pretty well for, for the next phase of growth. Yeah, and, and Ash, I have a similar background to Ed. Spent uh, most of my career uh, on a trading floor. Spent about a decade at Goldman Sachs. Um, I, I learned about Bitcoin on a trading floor at Goldman. Um, this is uh, pre-Mount Gox. And uh, I followed the space uh, personally for, for a number of years. And uh, for me, what was appealing was just seeing uh, a, a second iteration of Wall Street being, being architected. Um, as a trader, obviously, it was appealing to trade the markets and, and be a part of that. Um, um, and I decided to take a career risk in 2017. And I joined the Element Group with Ed, built and launched a hedge fund business um, over there. I uh, spent some time at another crypto uh, quant fund running a, uh, a long short strategy uh, before leaving to launch Parataxis. Um, and we, uh, we launched our company in the beginning parts of 2020, uh, launched our first fund in June 2020. Um, and right now we have four funds since um, you know, we're a, a small team. I think we all, most of our team comes from 
a traditional Wall Street background, um, you know, from different parts of the, of, of, of the ecosystem. Um, but a lot of what we do, you know, does does take into account what we've learned and how we were trained, um, you know, just being at a big bank. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the secular thesis. Was it a play, as you suggested, about essentially modernizing <clears throat> financial infrastructure and architecture? Uh, was it, I, you know, we see Jay Powell down on the Hill today talking about inflation uh, still not being adequately controlled. Uh, was this a, about separating the monetary base uh, from the nation state or from the central banking system? What was the thesis that you guys had from a secular basis when you spun up this fund? And by the way, 2017, you sure got the timing right. Yeah, I mean, I, I can kick off there. I, I think I think the thesis initially was two parts. Uh, the first one is just the massive potential for growth in the sector. I think with any nascent technology, something that can be as disruptive as, as Web3 and the applications that are being built on all the various layer ones, that was really exciting for us. And, and obviously that growth and adoption is typically manifested in price action first. And we, we did see a lot of that in 2017 and in 2020 and 2021. Um, but but as we as as fund managers, uh, as folks that are managing uh, not just individual capital but but capital for institutions, uh, what was also exciting about the space is that it was very inefficient and still is. And there are many parts of the ecosystem where you can apply traditional uh, investment management strategies and risk management principles to extract alpha and returns that are uh, above what you can find in track by markets. And so. Uh, for, from a hedge fund perspective, outside of the growth, it was the ability to to deploy capital, meaningful capital, uh, uh, at, at what were, in our view, very very interesting opportunities. Yeah, and just just to add to that inefficiency um, um, angle I had mentioned, you know, our our view is that the market is inefficient; it will remain inefficient. As a result, the the opportunities for investment. Um, uh, will be exciting. Will will be somewhat idiosyncratic from the, the rest of traditional markets. Um, but I, I think the, you know, I, I came from the equities world where your edge came from either the knowledge that you had um, or the amount of capital you had to to trade with. So right. if you were if you were very large, you could influence the market and 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 have an effect and you know be profitable. Uh, whereas in in this in digital assets, your edge came from your experience. If you're not a practitioner in this space, it's very, if you're not actually um, trading the markets, if you're not actually interacting with, with DeFi, if you're not actually you know, get, rolling up your sleeves and, 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 and learning how uh, this technology works, um, it's very difficult to acquire an edge. So for us having, just by virtue of having worked in this space and, and really developed uh, a, a network and really uh, understood how um, um, this space operates both on a fundamental uh, basis, but also, um, you know, from a from an investment standpoint, and we developed an edge. And you know, as a uh, as as a natural evolution of that, uh, we thought it made sense to launch a fund. And you know, this is pre right at the beginning of COVID, when I think Bitcoin was trading you know, right around four or five thousand uh, dollars. You know, we we launched our first fund. So that um, you know, our, our view is that that dynamic will uh, will continue to persist and and for us as a fund manager that means um, um, you know we're, we're, in a, we're in a good spot how's it playing out in terms of the thesis uh, versus what's actually unfolding there obviously we know this is a tremendously volatile asset class 
Uh, how is it playing out, though, from a secular thesis perspective? Do you see the kind of developments that you thought you were going to see when you came into it? Uh, and how are they playing out a pace in terms of what the projection was uh, based on your expectations for the time horizons? So, so it's exciting when the market is just going straight up and, and whatever projections one may have had kind of goes out the window and you're just right. you're, you're waiting to see that. Um, I, I think because nobody can actually predict the future, I mean, it, I mean we can't, that's for sure. And, and number one, number two, we're not ideologues. We'd never tell anybody to sell everything and just buy Bitcoin or, or crypto. And so what that forces us to do is to create different vehicles uh, that, have, that do have different time horizons and different risk uh, return parameters. And so we do have four vehicles and, and <clears throat> each vehicle has a different time horizon. And, and the ability to have different uh, vol profiles. And so because we can't predict the future, we do have a view that the technology will continue to experience growth and, and be disruptive and that there will be inefficiencies um, and, and opportunities generate alpha. But, but as to your point, uh, you know, one investor may be comfortable with a 40 vol asset class, another one probably puke. And so we, we have to create right. products that, that would so tell us about the strategies that you guys are running right now. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I can kick that off. Um, so we're, we're an active fund manager. Um, we have uh, multiple multiple funds and each has a, um, a, a, a targeted uh, um, return profile. Um, uh, we, we, when we launched this company, our view was there would be multiple ways to generate a return. Um, the market was inefficient enough. It was growing fast enough. So really just pigeonholing yourself to one single return profile um, as a fund manager meant you were, you'd likely be out of business within 18 months. The, the cadence at which this market evolves is, is, is uh, it's much faster than the traditional markets. Um, it's still a young nascent market, but it is uh, an order of magnitude more mature than it was when we entered a space. Um, and you know, our views that it'll, it'll continue maturing. Um, so we we decided to launch with a, a multi-strategy type of approach to anything that we're doing. So our first fund is a, is a multi-strategy fund. Um, it allowed us to um, build a product that would allow us to scale capital um, and appeal to an institutional investor. And I think that biggest um, hurdle for a fund manager sometimes is, is to scale excess capital. You may have a strategy that does really well, but the moment you're the moment you start trading X amount of capital um, um, at size, uh, your alpha goes away, and it's because the market's still you know, somewhat very small, and you know folks are maybe uh, catching on to the types of strategies that you're running. So we decided to launch with a multi-strategy approach that allowed us to tar uh, generate uh, returns from from trend following, uh, both directionally and on a relative value basis, allows to generate returns from more fundamental the, uh, uh, thesis-driven investments in, in tokens, and allows also generate returns from um, uh, opportunities that are more market neutral, um, that are yield oriented. And you know, when we obviously launched with this multi-strategy approach to scale capital, but our thinking was we could, by 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 running multiple strategies in one fund, we would build up an expertise and a track record that would allow us to spin out other funds, assuming there was uh, demand. Um, and we, we actually did that with our, our yield fund, which we launched last year. Um, this is this is one in which we were, we're capturing uh, returns that are entirely market neutral or uncorrelated to Bitcoin beta. 
both on-chain and off-chain. So this could um, uh, involve structured trades between spot and, and derivative products. This could uh, uh, involve more structured credit type of opportunities. Uh, and this is also where we trade some of our systematic uh, higher frequency type of strategies um, that are again uncorrelated to Bitcoin beta, but allow us to take advantage of trends that we're seeing intraday. Um, and then you guys are running a ton of different strategies. We are, we are, and 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 again, it comes back to what I said before. Uh, we we've been doing this for a while. Um, we're not, you know, we're not just uh, a, a a tri-fi transplant that is trying to do something. We've been doing this for for quite some time, and even prior to. Uh, uh, for myself personally, prior to entering the space professionally, I was trading um, Bitcoin uh, and, and crypto on, across different exchanges. So I'm very, very well versed with how uh, these names work and where the risk of uh, vectors lie. Uh, a lot of that is a lot of that knowledge has been uh, uh, put into our funds. Um, just to just to round out on your, on your question here, uh, a strategy a fund that we launched this year, which I'm you know, I think we're really really bullish on, is uh, relative value, and this is where we're tra uh, trading uh, Bitcoin against. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I think, T oh, TJ, you're back. You're Am back. I back? Okay, great, great. You're back. So with, with our relative value strategy, we, we are pairing Bitcoin against Ethereum, long and short. And this allows us to take advantage of the oscillating relationship that occurs between Ethereum and Bitcoin. Generally, the trend you're seeing, uh, with, specifically with crypto traders, you'll see folks that are willing to take risk. When risk is on, you'll see ETH outperform Bitcoin because, because folks are you know, uh, taking a view that ETH is um, um, going to move at an order of magnitude larger than Bitcoin. Um, and vice versa, when take people, crypto traders are taking risk off, they'll move back into Bitcoin at selling ETH. And you'll see this ETH-Bitcoin ratio Right. Um, move in kind. So we, we take advantage of that in our in our relative value um, uh, fund that we launched this year. What's the maximum leverage that you guys have in these structured trades? So the 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 structured trades that we uh, we put on our yield fund these aren't these are unlevered returns. Um, I think our our general view with leverage is that it is dangerous in a ninety vol asset. Um, it is something. Yeah. that we we had a thesis on when we launched our company it's also something that avoid allowed us to avoid many of the pitfalls last year yeah. um, um leverage the buildup of leverage and the squeeze of leverage is considerably more violent there are no margin calls in crypto you are it is either a long squeeze or a short squeeze so really i think as a fund as a as a institutional fund relying on leverage uh, is 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 a bad recipe sometimes yeah, that's why I asked. Uh, listen, as we talk about this, there's obviously a lot of different moving parts that you guys have running under the hood. How do you think about it? Are there broad kind of structural categories that you filed these strategies in in your head, uh, particularly when you explain this to new investors? What's the approach that you take? Yeah. yeah. So, so <clears throat> go ahead. Go ahead, Ed. Cheers. So, so we, our main fund, our absolute return fund, that's a fund where we run every one of our plays. So that there is a a a macro component to it, which does uh, have trend following and, and directional strategies that we run there. And then there's a, there's a much more, as Tejas described, the, the fundamental, we call it our thesis-driven book. 
Uh, and that's where we do bottoms up analysis on, on individual tokens, where we try to identify uh, the equivalent of earnings power in this space, the, the same way that a long short equity analyst would look at similar stock. And then, and then the third bucket is, is a market neutral um, uh, uh, trading strategies. And so mm. uh, those three, the reason why we have all three, as, as Hage described, it, it, number one, allows us to scale our capital, but number two, the market really does evolve. If, if I think about our yield fund, we launched it uh, early last year with the intent of, of going after the DeFi yield opportunity. And, and as soon as Luna Terra happened, uh, right. the yields are basically collapsed. And so uh, we, we take that multi-strat framework even to uh, some of the yield-oriented strategies within our space that required us to, to uh, figure out a different way to generate attractive risk-adjusted risk, uh, returns our investors. And so what, what we saw was the structured credit opportunity in digital assets. And then when Voyager and Celsius and a lot of these CFI lenders went down, <clears throat> what you saw was this huge vacuum in the lending space. And, and typically when that happens, spreads blow out, which are, are great for allocators of capital. And so that with, with, the, with the, the overall macro environment, uh, as we were kind of entering a rate hiking uh, uh, environment, really, really helped us uh, to kind of pivot there. But that wouldn't have been possible had we not uh, had a view to each one of the strategies, what the puts and takes were, um, and, and, and to parcel out and carve out these into uh, various buckets to provide a very specific type of exposure uh, for investors. Yeah. So tell me, what do you guys use as your benchmark? Is it unlevered Bitcoin return? Is that kind of like your, your beta proxy? Yeah, for for our multi-strat fund, it is um, it's the easiest. Folks, uh, generally, we we've been asked the question, "How have you done versus Bitcoin?" Yeah. Um, so it is the easiest for our market neutral fund. Um, we generally look at like uh, high yield, generally traditional high yield, so like an HYG ETF. Um, that's that's been the the bogey. It's a different uh, investor base. It's a different type of um, uh, it's a different type of return profile we're targeting. What's the historical return been like for you, and where are you year to date right now? Yeah, so our uh, our multi-strat fund, uh, we're you know, handsomely outperforming Bitcoin life to date. Um, it is that is the that is the goal. You know, we've we've uh, it is meant for uh, someone looking to take um, um, some directional risk, uh, but is looking to outperform Bitcoin over what we think is a bull market cycle. So generally, Bitcoin's having cycles for years. That's historically been a full market where you see a secular bull and a secular bear. If we can outperform Bitcoin uh, pretty pretty meaningfully in, in that cycle, then I think um, you know the job is done for for that fund. Uh, for our, our yield fund, are you able to share the more uh, more specific metrics on returns? Um, yeah, yeah. So so uh, let me let me pull this up. So we launched this in uh, 2020. Um, uh, Bitcoin, I think, for we launched it in June of 2020. In that time period, Bitcoin was up uh, about 180, 190 uh, percent. We were up north of 200. Right, so market really just went up in one direction, but we managed to capture a lot of that uh, that high beta and still managed to outperform. Uh, 21 is when we really shown. Uh, um, Bitcoin was up about 50, 55 percent. Uh, our fund uh, was about triple that uh, for the year, you know, and, and I think, you know, that that year we managed to 
we did very well uh, trading around the China ban in, I don't know if you remember, in, in June yeah, of that year. Of course. Uh, there was a, yeah, that's when Bitcoin had a, almost like a 40% drawdown. Uh, we did very well trading around that. Uh, last year was a, uh, it, it, it was, it, you know, we were, our returns were more or less in line with Bitcoin. Um, I think, I think the focus went from, um, trying to be too cute trading around, uh, some of the, some of the ball and to, uh, just preserving capital and, and really avoiding some of the operational pitfalls. It seemed like every other day there was right. another one, another, um, a broker or lending counterparty or exchange going bankrupt. So, you know, yeah. I think. We we escaped last year, um, you know, unscathed for that fund, um, right. and having no exposure to any of these bankrupt entities. Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose uh, just getting flat to the return on Bitcoin is a, a victory when you have, as you say, these significant operational challenges. And I should ask, uh, those are all unlevered returns. These are unlevered. We don't we we don't take leverage in, in, in that fund. Um, and year to date, um, I can speak to Q1. Q1, we were up uh, north of 100% in, in our main fund. Um, so it was, it was a good start to the year. One of the theses that we had to start the year was that there would be a considerable amount of structural selling at the end of last year. Uh, when I say structural selling, it is, it's, it's forced selling as a result of either leverage coming off of, um, off of exchanges, off of FTX and Binance, um, maybe redemptions out of, uh, some very large well-known funds that would be forced to sell and raise cash. Um, and maybe some end of year, just tax related, uh, rebalancing activity. But that we would see, we would then see. A, our view was we would see a sharp mean reversion, and we positioned accordingly at the start of the year and managed to capture the majority of that return uh, in Q1. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, let's jump in. I've got some questions coming in from our Real Vision viewers and listeners, and they are interesting ones uh, that I wanted to ask you, Paul, from the Real Vision website, with the question of the hour: Why will BlackRock prevail when Van Eck, another major, has failed? Great, <laughs> great question. We were talking about this a little bit off camera. So my, my view is um, it, it, BlackRock is not Van Eck or any of these other issuers. Uh, you know, without sounding too um, conspiracy theorists, you know, BlackRock, they are large. They are very large. They have influence. Um, their influence, I think, uh, goes beyond what, um, what, they're just, what their asset base is. Um, so this i think they're i think this is a conversation that's been having for several months if not uh for you know all of last year on on how to launch a spot etf i don't my view is they wouldn't blackrock is so large and and and, and just so broad they wouldn't launch a spot etf if they didn't have a view that they could get this across and also and also garner assets yeah <laughs> The, the other point is, I mean, if you just think about the game theory behind it, right now is probably the worst time to be following this application. There's a, there's a ton of reg risk. Uh, there's lawsuits going back and forth between some of the largest crypto players and, and, and the U.S. government. And so if, if there was a bunch of regulatory heat and, and, and the view was that, that there's no way uh, that, that this would ever gain approval, the prudent uh, issuer would wait. Uh, right. But but it's clearly that's clearly not the case, and so the fact that they went forward uh, with issuing this and, and are moving forward with this anyways gives us some confidence uh, that that they do know something that they do have an inside track on on getting this over the line. Yeah, 
you know, it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about the game theory around this right now, as you suggested. Uh, but you mentioned, I think it was at the top of the show, where you talked about that $35 trillion total addressable market number. I mean, to put that in perspective, uh, Bitcoin uh, right now, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's, what is it 70,000 to one? I mean, you think about the scale uh, of that market relative to where uh, digital assets are uh, obviously incredibly, incredibly small, $500 billion uh, versus 35 trillion. Yeah, I mean, if you think about just even 1%, 1 to 2% of that, of those assets coming into the space via this wrapper on, on, on traditional rails, that's you know half a billion to seven hundred billion dollars of incremental purchasing, and so I know Bitcoin's market cap is a little over half a billion today. It, it's not just a doubling of the market cap, but but that capital will have to go out and chase and purchase Bitcoin out in the spot market, going into having uh, schedule where the supply will actually be cut in half. And so we're pretty excited about it. Uh, if I think about how how I think traditional investors think about gold as a potential hedge against monetary debasement. Right. And, and obviously with uh, what's going on uh, in, in the macro environment, that's top of mind for a lot of investors. To the extent that Bitcoin, um, possibly ETH can get some of that mind share um, and 1% and of retirement assets to get allocated to it, you can just kind of think about uh, the, the, the potential price action there. Yeah, TJ, anything to add to that? No, I mean, I, I I think if you're if you're an RIA or if you're a financial advisor, and um, you're looking to put your your clients into Bitcoin exposure, seeing a BlackRock ETF versus another issuer ETF, um, it is it is a no brainer if you know of, of of what you choose. So like BlackRock has the pricing, it has the name brand, in in our minds, it has the pricing power um, to really undercut all of its peers and, and, and really garner assets. It has a distribution, uh, the network of, of advisors to, that will, again, drive drive capital into the product. Um, it is BlackRock. Again, they are so they are large. They're not going to this, unless it is something that will actually impact their bottom line. I don't think they would actually move forward with a, with a spot ETF. Yeah, I mean, even if it's uh, double-digit basis points uh, that uh, that that market eventually looks like against a base of thirty-five trillion, it's just enormous. Oh yeah, yeah. It, 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 Ash, it looks like BTC's crossed thirty k. So hopefully, this podcast has played some role in in. in the <laughs> <laughs> You attribute way too much power to me. Uh, but it is uh, it is fun to actually watch the numbers live uh, as we do the show. Here's a question um, from Nanaimo Trader on the Real Vision website. Are you seeing institutional buyers coming into the crypto market now or the last few months, or do they tend to be waiting for more clear regulation and SEC approval? This is exactly what you were talking about, Egg, uh, in terms of the question about uh, regulatory headwinds. Yeah, there, there we... We did see over the last three years some pension funds go direct and purchase Bitcoin. Um, as as most folks know that are probably listening, uh, that's a pretty cumbersome process to the extent right. that you want to custody the assets properly. And so uh, our conversations with institutions, it's clear that that they they are looking at the space. They're looking for the right wrapper to gain exposure. And so as exciting as a BlackRock uh, announcement is. I don't think the largest allocators of capital are going to just buy a bunch of 
uh, Bitcoin ETFs, just given the volatility profile. And so um, it piggybacks on, on the second part of your question. Yes, they are interested. They are looking at the sector. They're looking for the right vehicle or, or product or fund managers to gain that exposure. But top of mind for them is, is the reg risk. It, it, it's, it's, it's totally clear to us that, that um, uh, there's headline risk uh, with having exposure to the sector. And, and again, I think with a BlackRock willing to put its neck out on the line um, and to push this forward, uh, I think we'll hopefully start alleviating some of those concerns and, and help <laughs> us move beyond just a rec risk and, and going back to focusing on, uh, on what really matters, the investment strategies and how managers think about managing. Yeah, we were bantering about this uh, a little bit uh, off camera where we were talking about the different markets uh, that they're approaching. Uh, very clearly, it seems to me at least that it's a different market uh, for folks who want to custody their own assets versus uh, to just have passive ETF exposure to the asset class. It seems to me to be a, a very different customer, very different model. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if somebody wanted to custody their own assets, uh, digital assets within the existing retirement wrappers, you know, you'd have to have checkbook control and it's a very cumbersome and, and at times administratively burdensome and expensive process. I, I think this opens up the door for uh, retirement accounts to get, gain exposure to the space. But, but for investors that are looking to scale up meaningful capital, um, not one to 2%, but a, a meaningful allocation uh, of, of their, their constituents, stakeholders, assets they're always going to continue to look for risk management strategies and that's our view and and i think there's always going to be a market uh, for for active strategies it's it's not surprising that following this filing everybody else whose applications were rejected over the last 18 to 24 months are resubmitting applications and and you know the same way that we've seen fee compression in, in the trapped by equities market you know yeah. if i look at the vanguard s p 500 etf I think the fees, they may have started, you know, high, high double digit basis points, 70, 80 basis points, but they're like five basis points. Now. Right. And so to the extent that yeah. it's a commodity product, uh, we, we, we do feel there may be the black rocks of the world that will be able to maintain some pricing pressure, uh, but it's going to be a, a race to, to zero in terms of fees um, and, and, and hopefully the enhanced liquidity, um, the, the clearing of the reg risk. Uh, will will allow more capital flow into active strategies like the ones that we manage. I think the price right now, the expense ratio price is about three basis points right now for S and P tracking. Wow. On, on the ETF, I mean, here's here's one thing um, that isn't really covered as much. I mean, th th this is a real art alternative for, I'd say, non maxi Bitcoin um, whales or l large holders of Bitcoin or large future holders of Bitcoin. Um, that, that care about simplicity of, of, of taxes, care about uh, consolidating assets across you know, um, you know, their brokerage accounts and, and care about ease of tax planning, which is still, you know, if you're, hold, if you're holding a large amount of Bitcoin yourself, it is, it is, uh, it is a more involved process. Versus, Guys, I got a wrap. Um, unfortunately, I'd love to have this conversation uh, go on for the next two hours. Simple solution. We're just going to have to come have you back on the show sure. uh, to do this again and continue it because there's obviously a lot more to say. Uh, Ed, TJ, final thoughts, key takeaways, if you could leave us with 30 seconds to think about. I think, I think we've, we've hit bottom. I think FTX marked the bottom for this cycle. The deleveraging has worked its way through the system. Um, and, and I think 12 to 18 months from now, post-halving, 
folks are going to look back and, and, and wonder why they waited so long to, to put the exposure back on to the extent that folks exit the system. But, but we're excited and, and we do think it's always in the deepest and the darkest of the bear market that you do see uh, spring and, and the seeds for, for the next phase of growth uh, begin. Yeah, we're, 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 we're entering the FOMO phase where the opportunity cost of sitting out and waiting will be much larger than actually being involved. And that's actually when you see the exponential growth over the next uh, 18 to 24 months. Guys, really a pleasure. Let's do this again soon. Thanks, Ash. Of course. Thanks, Ash. That's it for today. Make sure to check out our website. You can go to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free, of course, to sign up for crypto content. Tomorrow, we're going to have the one and only Ralph Powell, CEO and co-founder of Real Vision, join us here live for an AMA. You will not want to miss that. Thanks again for watching. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. London. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great afternoon. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.